Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Hello, good morning, Vessel Collective Church, and welcome to Church at Home Week, whatever this is. Uh, I just want to thank you for being here this morning and being a part of what we are doing online through YouTube and Facebook. Um, so thank you so, so much for participating. Um, it's funny, as we have been talking with our leaders about gathering again and making plans for coming back together and meeting at the YMCA, we have realized in a sense of how the Lord has created a ministry during all of this and something that we never could have planned, predicted, or um, really done ourselves. And, and, and church at home has been so rich and so good, and we've seen so much fruit for it. So thank you so much for being a part of that. Thank you for commenting, for welcoming, for uh, teasing people that might need to be teased on Sunday mornings, whatever that may be. We thank you so much for it. Uh, it's really created community in a way that uh, I couldn't have planned. None of us could have planned. So thank you so much for being a part of it and being here. And I want to say, if you're, we, we're, we're going to start this morning. I've got several kind of uh, announcement advertisements that are really important. So please don't tune out um, as they really matter. But one of those is, uh, I want to say, if you are someone that has found the vessel via church at home, I would love, we would love to know that. We would love to know who you are. We would love to hear your story. If you'd be as bold enough to share that with us, if you would be as bold enough to share that with all of us, we would love to hear testimony about how us shifting focus and energy and effort and prayer towards doing this church at home ministry has affected your life. We believe that God is doing something really significant, incredible here. And so we would love to hear those testimonies. That's really powerful. And so um, my email, I'm going to put my email up on the screen. Uh, I'll go ahead and put it up now and I'll leave it up. Uh, And there's going to be several things I'm going to ask you to reach out to me for. And that's first and foremost. So if you're a family member who's watched it from afar, if you're... um, a someone that's in our community that for some reason can't come to church, whether it's sickness, whether it's a circumstance with your family, if it is someone that is out there that uh, maybe you've got church baggage and pain and you've found this to be an easy way to re-engage with the bride of Christ, we would love to know that. So that's first thing. Second thing I would love to know and for you to reach out to me, and this is for anyone that calls the vessel their home, and this is, this is the church that you call your church is to reach out to me if, if you have needs because of what's been going on through the pandemic and the coronavirus. As our leadership team has been praying about how and what we can do as a church to actively meet the needs of people that are within our body. Um, it's important that we know what those needs are. There are many of you out there that we know the circumstances. We know that you've been furloughed. We know that you've had a loss of income. We know that you've lost your job or maybe you're a contractor um, and, and some of your clients have, have slowed down. But please don't assume. Please don't assume that we know is that we want to know. So you can email me, and we're not trying to dig into your life. We're not trying to stick our noses where they don't belong, but we are trying to love and care and, uh, for one another during a really hard time. So please uh, reach out to me for that. That's announcement number two. Announcement number three, which 
is my favorite, and I hate announcements on Sunday mornings, but I am excited uh, to be able to share with you that we do have a plan for coming back and gathering again on Sunday mornings at the Chasco Family YMCA. And so we have been, uh, as I mentioned several weeks ago, we've been monitoring the, the ongoing process of the, the, our, our state and our community opening back up and what that means for church, what that means for church at home, what that means for our relationship with the YMCA. And so as we've been prayerfully and faithfully seeking the Lord's guidance, um, planning together, uh, we, have, we, we met this week with our leadership team and have decided that our first Sunday back at the YMCA is going to be the first weekend in June. So that is two weeks from this moment right now, if in fact you're watching this live on Facebook, is that we will open back up and we will have our gathering on Sunday mornings. But I have good news, and, I, and you're going to hear a lot more information about this over the course of the next two weeks uh, but the good news is our church at home is something, is a ministry that we do feel like God has really uh, anointed and blessed and called us to, and that is not going to stop. Uh, we are not going to end church at home and begin uh, to gather again at the YMCA, but we feel really called to this ministry. And so if you have found home and you have found, uh, you have the love of Christ here and community here, we want you to know that we are not forsaking that. As we know, uh, and ultimately, when you come back and when your family returns to church, if that happens and when that happens, that we want to give that choice up to every single family. And so the door for that is wide open. And so we we are going to begin the process of opening back up. And like I said, stay tuned over the course of the next couple of weeks on our social media, on our website um, for more information about that. I'll put up a slide right now that has our social media contacts and don't worry, this is not a shameless plug to get more followers on our Instagram. But uh, if you're on Facebook right now, you should check and make sure you have liked our page because that will keep you up to date. And you'll see there on this slide, there is a link to our Instagram account as well. So we're putting all information up there. And those are really, social media is probably the quickest way to find out. We also have a newsletter that goes out every Thursday, Friday-ish um, to people that have signed up for the newsletter. So if you go to our website, uh, vessel.church, www.vessel.church, you can sign up for our newsletter there. And then we're, of course, going to be updating the information there. So stay tuned. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you about that um, and to see what it looks like when we gather again. So I'm so excited about that. Um, you know, I was... We record this on Saturday mornings. This is not live. I, like you, am in my pajamas. I, like you, probably haven't brushed my teeth yet and enjoying coffee and um, from the comfort of my own home. So we record these at Saturday mornings at Gary's house. And so uh, we, were, we come and we record the message. And typically, it's not just we come in and get it done. We come in and try to create fellowship with one another. No, we don't try. We do create fellowship with one another. And so... Uh, Dustin, Gary, and I gathered this morning, and we worshiped, and we prayed, and we talked, and it was just so good. I mean, it's just, I've struggled during this as an extrovert, and just to be around and to be in fellowship with other believers, and we really just sat there and marveled at how good the Lord is, and how how uh, magnificent and gracious and loving He is. I mean, to the point where we, we talked about, and we said this before, about, man, God is just showing off and how good he's been through all this. And I know that you miss that. 
I know that that is what gathering is about. Uh, and while church at home has been a gift for every single one of us, and we're so thankful to be able to do that during this time, that fellowship is an essential part and community of being the body of Christ. And so I'm so grateful for these guys uh, to get a taste of that and experience of that on Saturday mornings. And I know that each one of us needs it. So we're praying for you, church, and um, we want you to be engaged in that. So stay tuned for that. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into the Lord's Word. So if you would pray with me. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for church at home. I thank you that you birthed the ministry where no one could have seen. Lord, I thank you that there are people right now in this very moment that are participating with church at home, that this has been an answer prayer to them. God, we don't claim that what we're putting out is the best or we've got the greatest sounding worship or the most dynamic teaching. And Lord, it's a reminder that it's not about that. Lord, that your body and your church is about being a body and being a church. It's about loving one another. It's about being in relationship with one another. God, it's about pursuing you together. And so we just are so grateful for the gift that Church at Home has been and that we've been able to do that online. And so we continue to pray with our brothers and sisters around the world for the end to this uh, pandemic and this disease. And we know that people out there are hurting, that have lost loved ones, that have lost jobs, that have, that have lost in their life because of the brokenness in the world. And this, and so we just, we mourn with them on that, Jesus, and we pray for a complete and total end to this. God, I ask you right now, would you just be with us? Would you land heavy in our homes, heavy in our hearts, uh, heavy in our minds right now as we open up your word? Uh, God, would you activate my gifts and skills and use me to be able to encourage and speak to us now, God. Would you silence my voice, amplify your own. Would your word be breathed out in this very moment, God? We love you, Jesus, and we thank you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. So if you would, go ahead and open uh, your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, as we've been in a series called The First Days, uh, and looking at the very beginning and the birth of the church. We've arrived, uh, and we kind of creeped along, we've arrived at Acts chapter 5, uh, and there's some... And, and there's some really good things in this um, chapter of Acts. And there's some really hard things in this chapter of Acts. And uh, so as I went through, typically what I do when I prepare my message, I really pray and try to seek the Lord and try to pick out just a portion of Scripture. I try to read that and then try to, to teach out of that. And so this morning is going to be a little bit different because uh, I'm probably biting off more than I can chew, and we're going to do the entirety of Acts chapter 5, but it's going to be a little bit of a leapfrog through, and so we're going to kind of bounce through. So if you, uh, I would encourage you to take time later today or later this week to read the rest and read Acts 5 in its entirety, and so we're going to kind of bump along through this chapter and look at some, some, some truths that's happened in the early church and the truth about our lives. And our focus this morning, and it's interesting that we've arrived at Acts 5, is our focus this morning, what our message is titled, is the going gets tough. The going gets tough. And I want you to know that um, we've had positive, optimistic attitudes about this, but this has been hard. 
This whole thing has been hard for the church, for each one of us, that we have been put through really difficult circumstances in our lives. And so uh, we got here to Acts chapter 5, and I begin to see kind of some of the trouble and some of the struggle and some of the, the, the going has gotten tough for this early church. And so what really this morning as we open that up, I'm just going to highlight a few things. And I want us to think about our own lives. I want us to consider how the Lord brings his bride through this, how these, how these, this early church and these disciples and these followers of Christ, how they respond and how God sustains and leads them through it. And so um, this would be an easy chapter to skip over as everything we've done so far has been um, encouraging. And not that this is going to be discouraging in any way, but but we, we're going to begin to see some of the, the tough goings that happen within the church. And the truth is, is, is that is a reality that every one of us faces, that uh, church is a place of hope. Church is a place of peace. Church is a place that uh, we offer gospel and life and the truth about Jesus Christ. But church is filled with brokenness because the church is filled with man. And why God chooses to use us for his kingdom, his glory, his purpose uh, is still a bit of a mystery for me, is that we're broken people. Uh, and with that comes challenges. So we're going to bump right through this. Uh, and so beginning in Acts chapter 5, we see these two characters uh, that you maybe have read about before, uh, a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. And so I'm going to read through the first few verses in 5, and we're going to look at really um, we see something that enters the church that we haven't seen before in Acts. And so it starts at this in verse 1. It says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And the reason that it says also sold a piece or piece of property, because it's referring to the end of Acts chapter four as uh, Barnabas, who, who if you read through Acts, um, he's a really faithful missionary and partner to Paul and leader in the church, is that the end of Acts chapter four told, tells us that, that an apostle Barnabas, he sold a field and a property that he owned and he came and he gave all of the, all of his, uh, the money that he got from selling that property, he came and brought it to the early church. So that's why it's saying also. So it, this man, Ananias, and his wife, Sapphira, Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, they, they see this, and so they make this decision to do the same thing. It says they also sold a piece of property. Verse 2, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? This is the first time in the book of Acts that Satan is mentioned. The first time in Acts in the early church in the first days that Satan is mentioned. It's not mentioned when it talks about the Sanhedrin. It's not mentioned when it talks about those who are opposing the disciples, that the first time that Satan is mentioned is from within the church. It's from within the church. And, and Paul asked him yeah, that the Holy Spirit has revealed to Paul this, this truth. And he says that you've kept some of this money that you receive for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, 
and great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. And your translation may say he, he fell down and gave up his spirit. He died. He immediately killed over in that very moment. And so as we're reading through this first days of the church and we get to chapter five and we're like, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe we could skip this. Maybe we can go to six or we can, we can find a, a little bit something that's a bit more warm and a bit more fuzzy. But this is where we are. And there's really good encouraging truth here for us. And this first thing that we see here is we see sin within the church. We see sin within the church. And we see the corruption of the church. And like I said before, if man is involved, there is corruption. If, if man is, 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 has its hand in something, there is sin and there is brokenness. Because we are broken people that are sinful people. And, and Scripture says, as you all know, um, it's, uh, Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who is all? That's all. That's me. That's you. If you hear my voice, if you hear the words coming out of my mouth, that is you. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the key here is understanding our condition and understanding the condition of sin. And it's interesting that the first time it's mentioned is it happens within the church. I want you to know I love this church and I love the vessel and I love the people of this church. But if you are here and you are looking for a perfect church, this is not the place. And that your journey to find the perfect church will be futile and will end in frustration because there's no such thing as a perfect individual church. And I do believe that the body of Christ in its totality around the world uh, does represent the perfection and the, and the, of the Lord, and he leads through that. But our own church has brokenness and sin within it. And the key, like I said, is understanding our condition and the condition of sin. You see, sin is like an, a, a disease or an infection. Sin is like something that infects, is like a cancer or disease uh, that, that is within a body. And, you know, during all of this uh, coronavirus and this pandemic and this sheltering in place and this being quarantined at our home, we have gone as a, as a civilization, as, a, as, a, as human beings, as man around the world, we've gone the great lengths to limit and to protect ourselves to do everything we can to limit the spread of that, to, to, to not get this virus. Uh, we wear masks out in public. We don't go out in public. We stay six feet from one another. There's, we, we do all of these things to prevent ourselves from contracting and getting this disease. And so I wonder, what if we saw sin in the same light? What if we saw sin that are in our own lives, that we saw sin as this thing to avoid at all cost because sin as scripture says always ends in death you may contract the coronavirus you may uh, become sick and have symptoms and 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 contract this virus and there's a great likelihood and the, the, the most likelihood that you are going to live and that you're going to be okay and that you're going to be healthy but i'm telling you this church sin always leads uh, ends in death the wages of sin is, I'm assuming, assuming everyone said death all at once from their home, is it always ends in death. But the good news about it is that unlike the coronavirus, there is a vaccine. There's a vaccine for sin. There is a cure. It's a salvation of Jesus Christ. And see, this when we look at this and we see sin within the church, 
it's important to see what what happens that this leads in what for Ananias it leads in death it ends in death it does not lead in death it ends in death for Ananias and the same thing happens to his wife that it ends in death for them and I want to take a look more specifically at the sin that they were struggling with in their life you see uh, this is a sin of deception and not greed that this, the sin here is not about greed. It's not that he didn't give all the money. It's not that he slipped some into his pocket. It's not that he stole from the church. It is about deception. If you look here, uh, Peter points out, he says, um, he says, you have kept some for yourself. He says, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Didn't it belong to you, right? This money was his. It was his to do with what he will. He didn't have to give any money to the church. Ananias and his wife, they, they could have kept it all for themselves. There was no rule here. There's no law here. There's no legal right that the church has to this. But it wasn't, the sin wasn't that he was greedy, and it wasn't that he wanted the money for himself. The sin was a sin of deception. He says, he says there in verse 2, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. And brought the rest of the church and that he lied about it and he says have you not just lied verse excuse me verse 4 says you have not lied just to human beings but to god as well you have not lied just to human beings but to god as well and so you see he was looking at uh, Barnabas and looking at uh, people recognizing Barnabas for this good deed that he had. And they, what they wanted to do is they were covering up and they were being deceptive about what they were doing. And so this isn't about giving. This is not about money. You know, scripture says uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, when it comes to giving, and I would encourage you, this is with us at the vessel, when we talk about people giving their tithes and offerings to the church, this is a scripture that we use to guide our church. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food, uh, bread for the eater, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Not the harvest of your bank account, not the harvest. That there's no promise there. And that's part of the problem with the prosperity gospel. Is you see, the prosperity gospel ties our generosity it ties our generosity to God's favor. And what it, what it falsely and incorrectly communicates is the more generous that we are, the more God's favor is going to come on us. Come on us, And it normally ties that to a monetary uh, financial uh, value. But what Scripture says here is that generosity, our generosity is tied to our faith. You see, when we are generous and when we give out of generosity, not reluctantly, not out of compulsion, not because some pastor says that you need to give 10%, right? Or not, not reluctantly like your wife is nudging you next to, next to you and says, hey, we got to give this Sunday. But it's, it's what God has said in our own heart to give because there are some of us out there that God has put in our heart to be more generous, to, be, to give much more than whatever 10% or whatever law that we want to follow is. And, and the, the, the truth is, is our generosity 
is about our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's not the sin here. The sin is not a sin about greed. It's a sin of deception. It's that these two people within the church had this sin in their life, and they work and they do everything they can to cover that sin up and to be deceptive about it. And it's really a sin of pride that they fall into here. And so um, we first and foremost see that sin is in the church, and that is hard. And I want you to know, church, that we are called to bear with one another in love, is that we, I am not perfect, that there are things that I do that are incorrect, uh, that, you know, our leaders aren't perfect. It doesn't mean we've decided on June 7th with all with prayer and with research and with looking at our, our state and our local leaders and talking amongst one another and praying together and seeking the Lord's wisdom. But are we right? I mean, we're making the best decision that we can for when the right time is and doing everything we can to honor God with our decision. With, to honor the Lord with what we do. So the first and foremost thing we see here is we see sin within the church, and that is hard. The second thing we see here is we see a church that, that is persecuted for the gospel, that they're persecuted for the gospel message. If you look down to Acts, uh, further down to verse 17, so they see this happen, and, and it says that people are stricken with fear when they see what happens to Ananias and Sapphira. And then it, it talks again about kind of the spirit of Acts 2, about them giving and, uh, to anyone that had need and being generous. And the apostles continue to perform these miraculous signs and wonders and heal people in the name of Jesus Christ and are sharing this message of life. And so um, it continues on. And then verse 17, uh, as we talked about last, last week, the Sadducees and the, the Sanhedrin is here, and they're watching what's happening. Verse 17 um, tells us that they get upset and they see what these apostles and what this early church is doing. And so they bring them forward. They bring them before the high priest. And this is verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. And here it is, as it says that these Sadducees are filled with jealousy, that they're enraged with this, with this jealousy and this envy and this anger for what the disciples are doing. What are they doing? Like, what is the thing that they are doing that is so deeply offensive to them? They're telling people that they're forgiven. They're telling people that Jesus loves them. They told them that he gave his life on the cross for them, and it is freely given to anyone, to everyone. He died for the sins of the world. They're healing people in his name. They're caring and tending. Their church is growing. And, and it, does, it says that they're, they have this, they're enraged with jealousy because of this. And we see the persecution of the church. And, and the word here is, you know, in Scripture, in, in my translation, is the word jealousy. Your translation may say jealousy, it may say envy, or it may even say the word indignation is how it may translate this word in verse 17. And, and indignation means, the translation of the, what the definition of indignation is, anger aroused by something unjust, unworthy, or mean. Un, so, uh, anger that's aroused by something unjust, unworthy or mean. And so I wonder which one of those is it? Is it unjust? Is that why they're anger? Is that why they're, why they're enraged with anger because they're being unjust? Are they being mean to people? 
then it's got to be the middle one. Their anger is aroused by unworthiness. That the Sanhedrin see these people, these sinners, these broken people, as we know that that Jesus, you know, the people that he interacted with, the people that the church is ministering to are the broken and downtrodden of society. And the Sanhedrin looks looks at them and they say, they're not worthy of this. They're not worthy of what's happening. And the truth is they're correct. That's every one of us. None of us are worthy of the blood of Christ. None of us are worthy of the forgiveness of Jesus. None of us are worthy of the gospel. There's nothing that we've done. There's no uh, context in our lives that shows that we've done something that's worthy to be forgiven of our sins. And this enrages the Sanhedrin. And we see this, we see this really interesting parallel, this physical and spiritual parallel that are going along at the same time. It says they're enraged by jealousy. And so what do they do? They lock them up. They take all of them. It doesn't say it's just Peter and John anymore. It says that they take the disciples and they lock them into prison. And they, they, their, their idea is what they want to do in the, in the physical sense is the same thing that's happening and they desire in the spiritual sense. It's to imprison the gospel. They are doing everything they can to lock these men up so that the message of Jesus Christ can no longer continue forward. And if you notice here, what Scripture says is it doesn't say that they're teaching the law. It doesn't say they're going out and teaching the word of God. The, when the, the angel of the Lord comes and frees him from prison, he says, go and stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life, the good news of Jesus Christ, the life that they have found in the Lord. And so, you know, we've had this shelter in place during all this, and we've done everything to keep within our homes so that we wouldn't spread anything. And so that, that it's essentially the same thing that they're doing here with the gospel. They think if we can lock these guys up, we can keep them in a jail cell that we can stop the spread of the gospel, that they will no longer tell people about this new life. And and so then at the same time, we have this juxtaposition to what the Lord is doing and what the early church is doing and what this angel does is when the world comes to imprison the gospel, to imprison these men, what does the Lord do? The Lord brings freedom. Where the world wants to imprison and enslave and entrap us, God brings freedom. And it says the angel Lord t- comes to them in this, in this prison and it frees them. It's miraculous. It doesn't say that they picked the lock or that someone let them out or they forgot and left the jail cell unlocked. The jail is locked. The jailers are outside. And the, the, the angel Lord supernaturally takes them from inside the jail cell to the temple courts. And it says share the good news. Share the freedom that is in Christ. And so they go the next morning. The Sanhedrin goes to the jail cell and they say, Hey, we, we want to see these guys and we want to talk to them. And they go there and they're not in there. And they're in the temple courts preaching freedom, preaching good news for those that are unworthy. And so we see this church that is persecuted and we see that the Lord continues to give freedom and gives advancement to that. And then the last little thing that we see here in this idea of that the going gets tough. And towards the end of the chapter, um, these guys get out and they preach the good word. And the Sanhedrin, they, they wrangle them up. And at this point, I feel a little bit bad for these poor old Sadducees. They're trying their best to squelch this religion, this good news of Jesus Christ. They, they, they don't want this. They're doing everything they can. They're locking them up. They're threatening them. Don't do this. What authority do you have? We go back to the last chapter. So here they are, and these poor old guys, they got to they round up these squirrely 
and these bold and these faithful disciples. And they get them up and they bring them back before them. And in verse 28, it said, they say this, it says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. They won't even say the name Jesus. They won't even say the name Jesus Christ. He says, we've given you strict orders to no longer teach in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You see, not only are, is there sin within the church that they've got to deal with and, and, and work through, not only are they being persecuted by sharing the gospel, but now we see the disciples suffer in the name of Christ. And it's a name that they won't even speak. And so Peter, verse 29, Peter and the other apostles reply. And this is, you're going to see the boldness of their faith here, which we know is from the Holy Spirit. As we read a few weeks ago, we talked about the boldness that was given to these disciples to be able to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And it says, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Because what does the world desire? What does the enemy desire? What does sin produce? Death. What is the message of Jesus Christ? Life. And you see this great juxtaposition between the gospel and the good news of Jesus and what the, 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 this flourishing faith and people that are coming to salvation in the name of Jesus Christ and the world trying to suppress, trying to imprison, trying to stop the spread of this gospel. So the third thing that we see here when the going gets tough is that these guys suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And that the Sadducees won't even say his name. What I want you to look here, which is really miraculous, is look at how the disciples respond. Look at how they respond. They don't respond in anger. They don't respond and get defensive. They don't respond and get political and say, we're right and you're wrong and you're terrible and you're going to hell and you guys are wrong in your theology. They don't respond with any of that. It's, it's, it's almost laughable. Their response to the Sadducees is they respond with the gospel. They respond with the gospel. Look again, it says that they say, Peter stands, he says, he says, who are we to obey, God or man? And then he, he tells them the gospel. He says, you killed him by hanging him on a cross. The death of Jesus Christ, he's saying that unequivocally, without a doubt, that Jesus died on a cross the death of a sinner, the death of a criminal. Then he says, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior. He tells them the resurrection of Jesus. He tells them Jesus has been raised from the dead. And then finally he says that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of their sins. He's offering them forgiveness of their sins. And so it's amazing that even in this moment, Look at how these apostles respond, is that no matter what happens, no matter their imprisonment, no matter their suffering for, their, for no matter their threats, that they respond with the gospel. And the story continues. It says, 
uh, a Pharisee steps forward and he he becomes this voice of reason. And uh, it's this guy, Gamaliel, and he steps forward and he says, he says, look, he says, the truth is, and I love what he says here in verse 35. He says, he addresses the Sanhedrin. He says, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. You see, he knows their intentions. He knows that they intend to kill them and to try to stop this gospel. And he's aware of the intentions of the Sadducees and of the enemy. And he tells him, he says, look, the truth is, is if this, if, if what they're doing is from man, then, then it's going to stop. We've seen this before. We've seen man try to rise up and, and try to overthrow, you, you know, whatever authority you have. And so if it's from man, it's going to play out, and, and you don't need to worry. But he says, but if this is from the Lord, there's nothing you can do to stop it. There's nothing you can do to stop it. It says, if this is from God, you will only, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And then it says that they take the men, and in verse 41, it says the apostles, oh, excuse me, verse 40, it says his, pe- his speech persuaded them. So they called the apostles in, and rather than kill him, it says that they had them flogged. It says they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them to not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And this is awesome. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And again, you got to feel for these poor Sadducees. They're trying everything they can. They, they imprison them, and they come out, and they go the next morning. They're preaching in the temple gates. No unlocked. It's miraculous. They bring them back before them, and they flog them. And this is not just a slap on the wrist. This is 39 lashes that opened your back and left scars until the day you died. It is a brutal, torturous, people died from being flogged. Verge of death type of thing. He says, he says, now we have told you, don't say or don't teach or speak in the name of Jesus again. And they walk out of there praising God that they were counted worthy of suffering for his name. And man, that is incredible. And so we see that even when the going gets tough, we see this early church rise up and respond to that. So as we close this morning, I want a few application points I want us to think about as we go away. Um, the first is this. The first thing I want to encourage you um, to think and consider for your own life is to get real about sin. The first thing I want you to do in your own life is to get real about sin. And this takes maturity. This takes a maturity of your faith if you really want to address and allow the Lord to really deal with the sin that's in your life. Because the truth is that the most dangerous sin are often the most subtle. The most dangerous sin are often the most subtle. It's easy when you become a Christ follower or a Christian. There's a whole litany of Christian culture things to do. You put a sticker on your car, you listen to Hillsong or whatever Christian artist you like, you, you stop listening to rap, you start watching this, you stop, you do all these little check boxes. But the truth is, is the deep-seated, deep-rooted sin that's in our life. It takes time and it takes maturity and it's subtle and it's the most dangerous that's in our lives. It's a sin of pride. It's a sin of deception. It's a sin of arrogance. It's, it's those deep-seated sin. 
and the, the, the reason that those are most dangerous and the reason that I want to encourage you to get real about the sin in your life is that these subtle sins are like deposits into a bank account. Peter said to him, when he sees Ananias and he knows the Holy Spirit's revealed to him that he is in sin and being deceptive about what he said, he says, Ananias, how has Satan so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Filled your heart. Do you know how you fill something? Over time, you put in more and more and more and more is how you feel something. How I fill this up is I put water in it, I put more water in it, I put more water in it, I put more water in it until it's full of water, until it's filled. How is Satan filled? So filled your heart that you have gotten to the point where you would lie to God, lie to Holy Spirit, lie to the church. And it's just a little bit over time that that happens. And... I want to encourage you to get real about that, to be genuine and authentic, because that within the confines of the church, you can walk in sin and be a part of the vessel. You can walk in sin and be a part of whatever church you want to be a part of, and that is dangerous. And I want to encourage you towards authenticity. If you are struggling with something, you need to be real about it. Be authentic about what that is in your life. It doesn't mean you've got to get on the comment section right now and type out, I've got this problem. But it's about getting real that. We had a, I had a friend that uh, is a part of our church that he shared on social media. Um, he was an alcoholic. And he shared about being sober and about the freedom that he's found in that and how, you know, what God freed him from that sin. I, and I, I've heard his testimony. It's amazing. And he talks about how over time his sin got to a point where he was out of control. If you're, if you're looking at pornography, it may seem little, it may seem small, it may seem secret, it may seem occasional. But I'm telling you, you're depositing things into your heart that over time is filling up. And there is no shame in sin. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that you are not condemned for that. And this is a place of authenticity. This is a place for you to be real. And I want to encourage you to find someone to get real about your own sin because there's freedom for that. Not only is there forgiveness for your sins that you are no longer guilty of those things on the day of judgment, there's freedom from those things that you can move beyond whatever that thing is that in you. The second thing I want to encourage you to is to recognize persecution. And it's almost laughable for us to suggest that we in Western Christian American culture have any level of persecution, is that there are people around the world that are dying for their faith because of, because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And we, we celebrate Memorial Day this weekend. This is Memorial Day weekend because we remember the freedoms that we have and the freedom of religion that people gave their lives so that we could have that religious freedom. But like sin... Persecution in our own lives can be subtle in the Christian context that we live in. Uh, to, be, to be persecuted means to receive ill or hostile treatment because of our religious views. And, and there's, there's experiences in our lives where we, we are judged or we're treated differently because we have this relationship, because we're Christian, because we know and are saved by Jesus Christ. And so again, I want to encourage you to look back at the, the, the disciples and look how they responded to recognize persecution in your life and know how to respond with the gospel. Not out of anger, not out of judgment, not out of taking this and smacking somebody over the head with it, but respond with the good news of the gospel. And the last thing I want to encourage you to do is to flee from comfort, as we were talking about that this morning. To flee from comfort. A comfortable Christian is an oxymoron. 
I'm telling you, Jesus does not want you to be comfortable. And that is what we're after. We're after giving our lives to Jesus Christ, to be a vessel empty, allowing him to take this, fill it, and use it for his kingdom and his glory. And there's nothing comfortable about that. And I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be harsh. But I want you to know, if you call the vessel home, that's what we're asking. We're asking you to give your life away for the sake of Jesus Christ. Let me pray, and we're going to close with some worship. Thank you for being here this morning. Dear Lord, I thank you so much, um, God, for your early church. I thank you that what a, what a symbol it is for us, what encouragement we find out of it, find in it. I thank you that even in these really, Acts chapter 5, we see the difficulties that these disciples in this early church went through that we find challenge in that, we find encouragement in that. And I pray, Jesus, that we would be a church that God would go after your kingdom, period, regardless of persecution, regardless of suffering for your name, however small or significant that may be, God, that you would help us deal with sin within our church and within our own lives. God, not so that we can shame people or control people, God, so we can find freedom for that. Lord, we thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.